listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hello out there. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the Wayback Machine. We enter the Wayback and we're immediately hurtled back through time and space. A rock music festival that drew hundreds of thousands of young people to a dairy farm in White Lake, New York. Over the weekend came to an end today. And we have a report from Richard O'Brien. They listened for three days. And today they sounded the retreat and headed for home. The sponsors said it was going to be three days of peace and music. It was that all right, and much more. Estimates of the crowd ranged up to more than 300,000, and it was that size that caused most of the trouble. That and the rainstorms that turned the big dairy meadow into a mud farm. The big problem was that no one, no one had even the slightest notion that they would come in such numbers. Today, wearied but still light of heart, they huddled their masses and set out for home. And they headed in every direction. As one official pointed out, with 300,000 people, you are not dealing with just a crowd, but virtually a city. And as a city, it had city problems. One youngster died of a suspected overdose of heroin. Eighty others were arrested on drug charges. Another boy killed when the driver of a tractor failed to see him inside a sleeping bag. One of the promoters says he wouldn't try this again unless he could rent the Grand Canyon. He may have to. Already there are threats of lawsuits from local business people who called it a disgrace. The kids said it was just great. And so, it's all over, except for the massive cleanup job that remains. The Woodstock Music and Art Fair, having done its thing, quietly folds its tent and steals away. Till another day. Richard O'Brien, CBS News, White Lake, New York. In a minute, we'll have CBS News correspondent John Lawrence with an analysis of the White Lake phenomenon. What happened at White Lake this weekend may have been more than an uncontrolled outpouring of hip young people struggling as they did to survive. First, the 20-mile traffic jams and five-mile hikes. Then the intense heat and sudden rain. The thirst and hunger from the shortage of water and food just for the opportunity to spend a few days in the country getting stoned on their drugs and grooving on the music. 
What happened at White Lake was that hundreds of thousands of kids invaded a rural resort area totally unprepared to accommodate them among adults who resent and reject their youthful style of life. And that somehow, by nature of old-fashioned kindness and caring, both groups came together in harmony and good humor, and all of them learned from the experience. For adults who were there, it was a revelation in human understanding. They had not been aware, as the kids are, of the gentle nature of young people to one another. These long-haired, mostly white kids in their blue jeans and sandals were no wide-eyed anarchists looking for trouble. Despite the overt appeals for violence by the few political radicals among the crowd, they remained polite, passive, and finally, as the area was saturated, helpless. At that point, the residents of the area, learning of the emergency, began to respond. Housewives handed out hot coffee to stranded youngsters who had not eaten in days. Catholic nuns passed around sandwiches made by Jewish mothers. And the police, many of them from the violent precincts of New York City, invoked the law of practicality and allowed the kids the freedom to take their drugs in public. So many people were smoking pot, the police explained, there were not enough jails to hold them. A situation to remind an older generation of conditions 35 years ago under which alcohol was legalized. So that what was learned at White Lake was not that hundreds of thousands of people can paralyze an area and break the law, but that in an emergency at least, people of all ages are capable of compassion. And while such a spectacle may never happen again, it has recorded the growing proportions of this youthful culture in the mind of adult America. Walter? And that's the way it is, 1969. This is Walter Cronkite, CBS News. Good night. Hi, this is Tom Johnson of the Doobie Brothers, and you are rocking with nostalgic radio and cars. Listeners, welcome. You are tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Honestly, you can. I think the thing's working, right, Cedric? It's working. It's working. Super. Hey, and don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, as far as our stuffs page. Like I said, I think I got one or two shirts left. We got decals, and our new shirts will be on the way. I will let you know as soon as they're here. Don't forget to run to our Facebook page and like us on Facebook, okay? It's slowly creeping up there. And let's see what else we got going on. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, welcome, welcome, welcome me back here. You know what? I had a real busy weekend uh, this past weekend, Cedric. Yeah. How you doing, by the way? Well, I'm, I'm doing as, as good as I can. You're doing as good as you can? Okay. You know, Larry G. <coughs> Larry G. You're not well, going to say anything about Larry G. Well, no. We'll just say that he's uh, got a great radio show and tune into Prescription Addiction. <laughs> you can't okay. tune into it anymore, man. He's leaving us, man. Oh. Okay. Think, all right, fine. He'll be back. He'll be back. He's just taking a hiatus. At any rate, <coughs> here, you know, I still can't shake this. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me while I... It's, it's those chemtrails. Chem is that what that is? That's the chemtrails. I know. It's probably that's uh, correct that they've been putting in the back in the ocean here go. in the Gulf of Mexico since they had another oil spill, right? You know, they still can't seem to get that under control, but yet they want to build a pipeline. But anyway, hey, we got a fascinating guest coming on our show this afternoon. 
Uh, you know, it's nostalgic radio and cars. Well, you know, we got the cars part down pretty good, but tonight we have a legendary musician coming on our show. So I am really excited to uh, have this gentleman on our show. I've been looking forward to this. I'm a big fan of his music, and I will keep you in suspense as usual. Anyway, let me tell you what I did this weekend. This weekend we had a number of events going on. Bulletproof was going on up in uh, in uh, Ocala at Don Garlitz. <coughs> That's our friend Alan Galbraith and, and that crew. And that would have been a good event. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it because I had another previous engagement. If you guys recall, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a father and son team on, Tom and Bubba's, and they own a store uh, or a uh, cool hot rod shop in Jupiter, Florida. It's called East Coast, Bubba's East Coast Customs, okay? And they're, they're basically kind of like a West Coast Customs or like Chip Foos and guys like that. They build some really cool custom cars. And, yes, they have their own TV show. Okay, well, what they did over the weekend is they had a special tribute and a fundraiser for the superstar himself, Burt Reynolds. Now, you heard us talking about it. It's on the show. You can go back to the podcast. You can pick it all up. But anyway, so I got invited to go down there, and that was kind of an opportunity. I didn't want to pass up because there was a remote chance that Burt Reynolds himself was going to be there. Well, anyway, when I, when I got there, it was in the morning. It was like around 9 o'clock in the morning. Cars everywhere, really cool stuff. It was kind of like a really cool car show. But what was really neat is on display was a, uh, a remake of the original uh, Snowman truck, you know, a semi-trailer that uh, Jerry Reed drove in the movie Bandit. They had a exact copy, a duplicate of the Bandit car, the 1977 Trans Am that Burt Reynolds drove in the movie, okay, the black and gold car. <coughs> Excuse me. And it was decked out. It had, you know, his red jacket in there, his hat was in there, uh, her veil was in there, you know, for the wedding veil that uh, Sally Fields was wearing. Uh, and they had a guy uh, posing as Buford T. Justice. And they had a 77 Pontiac in there, you know, uh, Le Mans. They all uh, dude it up like a uh, squad car. It was really, really cool. So they went to great extremes to have uh, put this event on, okay? And then inside the building, because this was kind of really neat, they got kind of like, like a little compound there, and they've got a shop, and they had cars on display. They had some cool Corvettes, some cool Mustangs, some Challengers, and, you know, the usual American muscle cars. There was even a Mini Cooper there. Um, a really cool 1971 AMX Factor 401 four-speed car, which is kind of unusual. Number of Trans Ams, a couple of Corvettes, you know, the usual stuff, but more Trans Ams than anything else. But our good friend Rick Schmidt from uh, National Parts Depot brought his 1977, or excuse me, 1978 Trans Am. Now, here's a story on this car. This car was given to Burt Reynolds in 1978 to commemorate the movie Smoking and the Bandit. Now, what they did is they repainted the car in 77 Trans Am graphics, okay? The car was given to Burt Reynolds in 1978. He owned the car through 1984, sold it to a friend of his, and then that friend subsequently sold it to uh, Rick Schmidt. And it's been in their private collection at the National Parts Depot headquarters in Ocala, Florida. So, you know, you can go in there, and they have about a 100-plus car collection that, uh, if you make an appointment, they will actually give you guided tours. There's a lot of neat stuff in there. There's neat uh, uh, die-cast cars in there. Um, Rick's grandfather is a big collector of uh, cameras. There's a, an amazing collection of cameras in there. But anyway, so Rick brought that Trans Am down. Now, this would be the first time in 20-some-odd years, or whatever it's been since the movie's been out, that Burt Reynolds was going to be reunited with a Trans Am that he was given by General Motors, okay, and also a copy of the, you know, replicas of the original Trans Am used in the movie, the original police car driven by Buford T. Justice, and of course, uh, Jerry Reed's semi, you know, Snowman, 
and his dog Fred uh, were going to be there. Well, what was really, really cool is we all waited and everybody was kept in suspense. But what happened was, is since this is a, uh, was a charity fundraiser for the Burt Reynolds Institute of Film and Theater, they actually had uh, little groups there doing like little plays. So it was kind of cool because they had some kids come up and they did a little rendition of Grease. They had some other people doing some soliloquies, and I'm sure you guys know what that is if you don't look it up. And uh, so it was really kind of fun, you know, plus the car shows, plus they had food and they had other entertainment. They had a really cool guy there by the name of Joey. He was just a little uh, guy strumming a guitar, you know, a little guitar picker, and he did a great job playing some cool old classics. And, of course, he did East Spine and Down, you know, which was the uh, song that Jerry Reed sang in the movie. You know, you guys often wonder why I talk fast. You know, we have a short amount of time. To, an hour goes by real quick, so that's probably one of the reasons why I talk fast, and I hope you guys can understand me. Okay, and a special thanks to uh, Tom and Bubba because they put a great show on. They were the host, sponsors. Uh, it was held at their new facility in Jupiter, Florida. And also a special thanks goes out to uh, Donna Carbone because Donna is just an amazing person. I've been corresponding with her back and forth for the last couple of years uh, trying to get uh, Burt Reynolds on a radio show because I wanted to talk to him about the early days when he did the movie, uh, the TV show, Dan August. He did uh, The Longest Yard. He did White Lightning. That was another movie. Uh, obviously, Cannonball Run. And the most notorious movie, Smokey and the Bandit. So a big uh, special shout-out and a big thanks to uh, Donna Carbone. Back to the uh, to the event. It was pretty cool. So finally, Burt Reynolds showed up, which really, really was amazing. He got out of the car. Um, they took him inside. They took him into a VIP room a little bit and got him all prepared and everything, and then he came out. And uh, he was gracious enough to sit there. You know, he signed a few autographs, talked to a bunch of people, waved at everybody, took uh, pictures with the Trans Am, went over and autographed the back end of the squad car and went over and autographed the side of the door on the uh, on the uh, semi rig, which was really really cool because the 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 trunk of the Pontiac had a number of signatures by a number of the uh, cast members and crew and people that were involved in the making of the original movie, including Hal Needham. So anyway, then uh, but Bert was only there for about an hour and a half or so. But I will tell you that I was very fortunate that I personally got him to. I bought a, a little hat and it says uh, Bert and Friends Museum. And back in the old days, he had his little dinner theater there in Jupiter, Florida. Okay, so this was one of those hats. It happened to be a leftover. So it's kind of a collector's item. And I bought the last one. And I, and Burt Reynolds was gracious enough to autograph that for me, as well as they allowed me to take a picture with him. So that was really cool. So if you go to our Facebook page and you look up last week's event, you'll see a picture of me sitting there next to Burt Reynolds and also uh, him autographing uh, the cat for us. So that was pretty good. So my hat's off to Burt Reynolds. Uh, you know, he is a true superstar. He did some great movies in the past. And, uh, you know, he deserves some uh, some great Hollywood credits and credits from all of us. Okay, the other thing I did over the weekend, too, is on Sunday, the uh, National Muscle Car Association had their shootout at Bradenton Motorsports. So we had uh, Steve Wolcott on our show a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about, uh, you know, he's involved with the National Muscle Car, the National Mustang Racing Racers Association, the NM. RA, I always get those mixed up, and the NMCA, okay? So the one's National Mustang Racers Association, the other one's National Muscle Car Association. And it was a great, great turnout. And if you go to our website, excuse me, if you go to our Facebook page, you can also see some pics I took. Some cars were, you know, snatched in the front end off the ground. Uh, there were some cool muscle cars. There was a GTO there that belonged to a friend of mine back in the 70s. His dad owned this car. It was a 68 GTO, and it was uh, bought by this gentleman a long time ago. <coughs> and uh, he had the car probably for years and years and 
years and years. And there was a gentleman down in St. Pete. His name was um, Jim Barr. And Jim Barr was, used to run a golf station down there off the corner of 22nd Avenue and 34th Street. Well, he was a big-time Pontiac racer. And there's a number of them around here. Uh, if you recall, uh, see, at the beginning of the year, we had uh, Arnie Beswick on. And he's still a big Pontiac racer. And they actually know each other. Well, anyway, so this Pontiac happened to be there. I wasn't sure if that was it or not. I walked up and asked the guy. I said, hey, is this uh, Dick's old car? And he said, uh, yeah, it is. And I said, well, how cool is that? So... I got some cool photographs of that car, you know, doing some really cool burnouts. There was uh, some pro mods there. There was some uh, uh, street stock cars there. There were some dragsters there, you know. Uh, really, really cool stuff. And, of course, some really fast street cars. I mean, these guys were running in the sixes. So that's pretty fast for a door slammer. You know, a lot of the other street cars were running in the tens. And, you know, back in the day, you know, we ran, if we ran 12s, my Rancher ran 1270s on the street. Uh, you know, cap, uncapped with street tires, but I had a traction problem, so the car probably would have gone a little quicker. But I was running 514 gears. You know, it took a lot of gear and 12 and a half to ones and some real serious racing fuel to get that thing down the road. But I made some serious horsepower that Cleveland just would do it. It would get her done. But these guys today, with all this high tech stuff and, and their cool materials that they got today and engine components, I mean, these guys are running like nines and tens like it's nobody business. So, I mean, they pulled two, three seconds faster than we did back in the day. So that was pretty cool. Plus, there's some late model cars there running. They had a late model Camaro, late model Mustang. Thing. Those guys are running in the 11s. So, you know, pretty much out of the box cars with just minor tune goodies to it, you know, stuff done to the computers and exhaust and uh, things like that, you know, the uh, mass airflows and sensors and this and that and all kinds of other stuff that's way over my head because I'm basically a carburetor and a points kind of guy. But anyway, that's kind of what went on this past weekend. Really, really groovy stuff. Now, this following weekend, we got uh, the swap meet at Daytona. Tomorrow is Test and Tune at Showtime Speedway, you know, the old Sunshine Speedway track. And then, of course, on Thursdays, you have Quaker Steak and Lube. Also this weekend is Blast Friday, and uh, this is something that uh, is put on by our friends over at Ruth Eckert Hall. They do this the last Friday of every month. It's called Blast Friday, and they generally have an outdoor band, uh, a feature band, in fact. And I think this Friday they're going to have Firefall. So hopefully we'll see you there. Big shout out to our friend Zev Buffman and the rest of his talented team at uh, Ruth Eckert Hall. And uh, don't miss the concert. We'll see you there. And then next week, I'll tell you about all the other stuff going on, because uh, April, we got the the big Mustang thing going on in uh, Charlotte. It's the 50th anniversary, 50th yeah anniversary of the Mustang. There's a big show going on in Columbus. Uh, in June, there's a big show in Oklahoma. It's a big Shelby, uh, Mid-America Shelby meet. Just a ton of stuff going on, but now it's starting to get a little bit further away. So there's the, the, the big events that were taking place locally are not around as much. Although August or April 6th in downtown St. Petersburg, and I will have tickets for that. <laughs> in fact, if Cedric would find my uh, my uh, my music for my uh, Let's Make a Deal music somewhere, we'll do a radio giveaway here. I think we can find that. We can cue that up. It's the Price is Right. Is that what it is? The price? What did I say it was? Uh, let's Make a Deal. Let's Make a Deal. All right. Let's Make a Deal. All right. Let's Make a Deal. You get that song on, and then I'll go ahead and give away some radio tickets. Think we can do that? But anyway, so uh, Festivals of Speed will be taking place on April 6th down in... Uh, in uh, at the Vinoy Park in downtown St. Petersburg. So, and of course, today is Tuesday. It's Rib Shack Tuesday. It's a day that I always go over and visit my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo and grab my sandwiches and, and stuff and uh, tater salad and stuff. So if you want some delicious ribs and chicken and barbecue, you got to give my buddies over at the Rib Shack Barbecue a, a shout. Their number is 727-501-9090 to 727-501-9090. And of course, tomorrow is Pizza Wednesday. So my good, good friends, Mark and his crew down there at Bella Doris Pizza, also on Clearwater Largo Road, right down there in downtown Largo. Give them a shout. Their number is 727-581-5000. You can't get any easier than that. 727-581-5000. Wow, look at that. 501-9090 and 581-5000. Hey, did you find that uh, theme song yet? <laughs> there we go. Okay. Anybody wants to call in, leave your name and number. I have free tickets 
Two, Festivals of Speed, April 6th in downtown St. Petersburg. Give us a call here at the studio, 727-441-3000. That's 727-441-3000, and the lines are whipping up here right quick. You know what? I got enough of them. If, if four or five callers call, just go ahead and give them to them. Okay, get their name and number, name and number, name and number. Isn't that, wasn't that what Bill O'Reilly says? Name no, Rob. No? No, Rob? Okay. No, Rob. No, wait. No, no I'm going to guy on there. That was a question. Yeah. That was a question. All right. I'm here. <coughs> then, we, then we got an, a line that just opened up. We did. Okay, cool. Anyway, hey, we got something on the turntable. We got some, Hey, you know what? The guy that's coming on the show later, this musician, is really, really cool. Because I'll tell you, he's one of the Bay Area bands. Big, big name. Bay Area bands. And of course, you know me. I'm a big proponent of all the bands that came out of the San Francisco Bay Area. Because naturally, that's where I grew up in the 60s. In the big... Make love, not war. Flower child movement, you know, especially when standing on the corner of Hayton Ashbury uh, and Golden Gate Park where all the hippie stuff went down. But anyway, we got a really cool song. I think the song is by a band called Sweetwater, and it's called Motherless Child. It's a really cool, groovy, 60s, psychedelic song. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Do not go away. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course, and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Hi, this is Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And, uh, you know, in a few minutes, we're going to get our guests on the line. But I'll tell you what, let me give you a couple of real shout-outs real quick. I want to give one shout-out to my good friends at Hollywood Car Auctions. You know, big shout-out to Mike, a big thank you to Mike, a big thank you to Kelly, a big thank you to Flo, and a big thank you to Hook down there. You know, those guys have always been fair with me. I help them out at the auctions every once in a while. They drive me around the state. They give me a great opportunity to hang with them and see some pretty cool cars. Not to mention drive some really cool classic cars. I don't care if it's a 58 Corvette. I don't care if it's a 49 Mercury convertible. I don't care if 
it's a 56 Mercury, if it's a 52 Hudson, really cool stars. But the coolest car they got is this 35 Packard Roadster that's got a full-blown crate Hemi in it and a five-speed. One of my favorite cars. you got to check out the website, HollywoodCarAuctions.com. We had a great time in Amelia Island. We're going to have another good time next year, but they'll also be involved with uh, us at Festivals of Speed. So a big shout-out to my friends over at Hollywood Wheels. And a big shout-out to my good friends at Forte's Inboard and Auto Connection. If you need your boat worked on, your high rod worked on, give them a call down there. They're off 66th Street. I've known Dom for, geez, close to 40 years. God, time flies. I just dated myself. Anyway, um, their number is 727-544-6440. That's 727-544-6440. And, of course, hey, if you want classic cars to buy, to sell, to broker, to consign, or if you want a really cool squad car, give my friends John and Mark a call at Cop Cars Online. Their number is 727-536-2677. That's 536-2677. It's busy, 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 busy car stuff. So, anyway, we've got our guests on the line. Okay, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to run to our little intro like we typically do. Stick around. This gentleman is a real groovy dude. Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Pablo Cruz Band, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Well, that's all right. I just wanted to find out whether you still had faces. I guess this is just another lost cause, Mr. Payne. 
All you people don't know about lost causes. Mr. Payne does. He said once they were the only causes worth fighting for. And he fought for them once. For the only reason any man ever fights for them. Because of just one plain simple rule. Love thy neighbor. And in this world today full of hatred, a man who knows that one rule has a great trust. You know that rule, Mr. Payne. And I loved you for it just as my father did. And you know that you fight for the lost causes harder than for any others. Yes, you even die for them. Like a man we both know, Mr. Payne. You think I'm licked. You all think I'm licked. Well, I'm not licked. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause. Even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. Okay, just painted. Oh. Hi, I'm Pat Simmons from the Doobie Brothers, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and thank you, Pat. We appreciate that. And he'll be coming on our show possibly next month sometime, so stick around and tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars to hear the interview with Pat Simmons from the Doobie Brothers, because they're coming in concert at the end of May. Anyway, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. Let me tell you a little bit about this gentleman. He's been in the rock and roll scene since the 60s. He's from the Bay Area. He's a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. He's the original founding member of two of the most famous bands out of the 60s and 70s, one being Santana and the other being Journey. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening the original lead singer and keyboardist, Greg Raleigh. Greg, are you there? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm stumbling over myself a little bit. But anyway, hey, how you been? And it's uh, good to have you on the show. That's good. I'm glad to be here. So now you're out in uh, Texas. I know you were in California for a long time. How long have you been in Texas now, in the Austin area? I moved to Texas about seven years ago. I live uh live outside of Austin and uh it suits me perfect does it <laughs> why'd you yeah. leave the california scene you were there for gosh since uh you moved there from uh, where washington states where you're from originally correct well yeah i was i was born in seattle washington but i was raised in california I lived most of my life in california but uh politically speaking and economically speaking they just got too stupid for me and i <laughs> i just had to move <laughs> okay uh, we're on we're on the same page there. Actually, I grew up in uh, San Rafael, so I'm from Marin County originally. Oh yeah, what I realize is you can't start a life there, and you can't end one. Um, it's just too expensive, and you know when the theme of the state is, you know, if you move out of here, you won't be able to move back. Meaning, you know, it'll be so expensive that you won't be able to live, you won't be able to come back. That's not a very good theme, and uh, it means that it's extraordinarily expensive for no reason. Yeah, and, that's. And that's kind of where it's gone, and it's all taxes. I mean, when you consider the difference between uh, some states, what it costs for a gallon of gas in some states as opposed to California, the reason why it's more in California, it's all taxes. That's 60, 70 cents a gallon more because of taxes. And so, I mean, and it goes on and on. That's not a tax. That's a fee. Anyway, I I hit the the housing bubble just right, and... uh, and sold my house with a great profit and moved to Texas. 
Wow. Well, take us back in time. Tell us what, what it was like back in the 60s. And I can remember well, because I was only a kid back then, but you were, you know, you were on the uh, music scene back in the uh, mid, mid to late 60s. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved with music and then your uh, big debut with Santana. Well, I mean, I started out playing a, playing a piano in the house because my brother did. It was all sibling rivalry. And uh, I, well, I can do that. And I took lessons and I hated it. I hated the lessons. And for about, I don't know, three months, I seem to recall. And and so I picked everything up by ear after that. And, uh, and I, I was, I guess I was about 10 years old when I was doing that. And, and then uh, uh, somebody was always coming in the house. It always interested me, but I had no idea I would be a professional musician. That's not where I was going. And... Um, so I was always learning something, you know, about playing, uh, from other people and, uh, including my brother. He was, my older brother was, uh, a pretty good piano player. And because of that rivalry, it's like, oh yeah, I could do that. Right. And so I just started doing that. Well, and then, you know, bands, Bands happen, and I guess to, to cut it short, when the Beatles came out, there was a million bands. What a great idea! And they they started to appear, and uh, uh, for me too. And so got into a couple little groups in high school, and yada yada. And then uh, uh, and a, a band called William Penn and His Pals, which was like Paul Revere and the Raiders, which was a very uh, a, a very popular top forty band in uh, in the Bay Area, and uh, I got into that, and then that fell apart. And then Santana appeared, and the story to that is uh, a friend of mine from Palo Alto, where I was raised, saw Carlos playing on a Tuesday night at the Fillmore uh, with uh, Mike Caravello, who beca- became the conga player, and and a bass player and a drummer from high from their high school mission in San Francisco. And so uh, he saw him play on a Tuesday night. Bill Graham would allow uh, bands to come in on the uh, to the Fillmore on Tuesdays um, in local bands and just play. Um, and so he, that's where he saw him. And he went and found Carlos in the you know, working in a hamburger stand in in uh, on Columbus Street in San Francisco, and uh, brought him to what is now Shoreline uh, Amphitheater um, at this little farmhouse, and we went out there and jammed, and we played for a while and making all this noise out in this farmhouse and. Uh, Somehow the police showed up, and so I turned to Carlos and go, we better get out of here. And he was already, you know, 20 yards in front of me going <laughs> run for a tomato patch. And so we hid out in this tomato patch until the cops left. There was no marijuana around at all, right? <laughs> so we're, high, you know, hiding out in the tomato patch, and that's how this all started. And uh, and then we started playing, and what I... What I liked about what he was doing, he was doing the same thing I wanted to do, which was play some music that was my own. Not, uh, I learned a long time ago that 
I, I don't play other people's music really well to copy it, but um, to explore it and make it my own and, and play it differently, that appeals to me. Otherwise, just copying somebody didn't never. I never liked it, and I wasn't good at it. So that's how that happened, and then that became uh, uh, Santana, and that was back in '66, I think it was. How many members so, were there originally in in the group? How many guys got together? Because you had like two sets of drums, you had bongos, you had lead guitars, you had a bass guitarist. Um, and no, we had one set of, one set of drums. Oh, one, okay. Bongos, and uh, timbales later on became timbales. First, it was just congas and drums, and then uh, and then we added timbales, uh, chipito, and that was before the first album. And so it was a. It was a six-piece band, uh, three percussionists, bass, organ, guitar, of course. And uh, that was it. And then uh, on the uh, third album, Neil Sean entered. And uh, he was about 16 years old and a phenomenal player at 16. He had a choice between uh, playing with Derek and the Dominoes or Santana. <laughs> you know, when he talks about that, he he goes, "I thought that you know, I just thought that's how that always happened." You know, <laughs> he, he really didn't know how rare it was. Actually, I was listening to one of his interviews, and he was talking about because he was so young, he was like fifteen or sixteen, like you said, and he got his first check, which was ten thousand bucks, and he went out and bought a car. And uh, well, who didn't? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of cars, you, there was a story about you driving your '55 Chevy from Palo Alto to San Francisco to uh, to to practice all the time, do your sessions. Yeah, I did. I, you know, until it broke down, then I hitchhiked, <laughs> and uh, I would hitch all the way into the not Mission, it was uh, Potrero Hill, and I had to hitchhike. But it was like 35 miles, and to go to practice, and sometimes those guys didn't show up. I'd hitchhike back home. Oh man! And do do it again the next day. Were you kind of uh, you know? Go ahead. That's the way it goes. <laughs> Were you in the cars back in those days too? I mean, they have a '55 Chevy. You know, it's kind of like hot rod style kind of car. Yeah, and then I had I had a yeah, it was a '55 Chevy raised in the front. It was just it was a two seventy two. I think it was a two sixty five board out, and uh, it was my first decent car, and. Uh, Raised in the front and chrome reversed rims, all that good stuff, and Naga hide inside. It was a nice car. Okay. And, and then I had to sell that when I got in Santana. I had to sell that to move my B three around, and uh, then I uh, I moved my way up to a, an old beat up Econoline that my from my dad's trucking outfit, and uh, that became the band truck, <laughs> and. Uh, Jeez, I put a lot of miles on that thing. But that was just so I could move my stuff around to go play. So I wasn't styling anymore. I'll put it that way. Okay. Was your 55 a four-speed car by any chance? Uh, no, it was it was three-speed. Oh, it was a three-speed? Okay, so it was a stick. Cool. No, 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 it was a V8. Oh, no, 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 but I mean it was a stick shift car, three-speed stick shift. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, Hearst linkage. It had all the stuff, man. Oh, that's cool. Um, it since- had all the stuff. Did you, uh, now you got a 56 Chevy right now and a 63 Caddy convertible, right? Yeah, 63 Caddy that's black with a white top. It's like driving an Italian living room around. <laughs> uh, uh, what a gas that car is. It's, that's restored. It's nice. And the, um, 
56 Chevy is on 87 Corvette suspension. Uh, it's been completely redone. It's got, uh, what did I put seats in there? I, I went and found them myself. It was from uh, Mazda and uh, Mazda Millennia, so a 93 Mazda. Mm-hmm. And we put those seats in it, and it now has a console. It's completely redone, and foos rims, you know, 20s in the back, 18s in the front, biggest, fattest tires I could put on it. Okay, and, cool. And uh, uh, straight, straight 350, a little, uh, uh, it's a high rod, right? But it is really well done, ground up. 87 Corvette suspension is the best part because it'll take turns like a Porsche. Oh, really? Good. Yeah. Who built the car for you? The, Huh? Who built the car for you? Uh, Dragonet Design out of Novato, California. Oh, okay. Um, he's a good friend of mine, and he he builds he builds these cars that are just incredible. Um, you know, it's like we left the body pretty stock, but the um, the bumpers are handmade from stainless steel pipe, a three inch stainless steel pipe that he just filleted, cut it down the middle and pieced it together so it fits completely around the body, kind of like a, a an old Corvette. You know, small, small little bumpers. Uh-huh. And the thing the thing looks so stubby and cool, you just don't recognize that it, why is this so different? And that's how he builds them. You just, you put it up next to a 56 and it, it looks, cl- uh, a regular 56 looks a little clunkier in comparison. They're beautiful cars. I love 56 Chevy. I mean, don't get me wrong, but this he streamlined it in such a simple way. There's no, we didn't chop it. We thought about it. We were going to chop it, and I said, "No, nah, we'll just put we'll put seats in there that have uh, headrests, and it'll look it." And it does. That's how you trick that. You just have a, a seat that comes comes up higher instead of the stock seat, and all of a sudden it looks the it looks like the the roof line is lower. Wow, cool! Is, is it? I think I saw a picture of it online. Is is silver? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Okay, that's a pretty wicked ride. Uh, it is. It's real. It it's quick enough and all that stuff. But most of all, I just love to get in a little road race with a Porsche <laughs> sometime and have a '56 Chevy behind him and keeping up with him, going, "How the hell is he doing that?" Right? <laughs> exactly. When you lived in California, did you live in the uh, uh, you know Sonoma County, or were you in Marin County, or were you in, or in San Francisco area? Well, I grew up in uh, in Palo Alto, but I, I, then I moved to Marin County. I moved. I was in San Francisco for a while, but okay. I realized I'm not a city person, and uh, so I moved out to Mill Valley, and then Novato, and then moved down to San Diego, and then uh, moved here to Texas, and. And Texas more to my liking. I just I got more room and um, and the heat keeps all the riffraff out. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody complained it's, it's too hot down there. That's right. Don't come. No, no. <laughs> hey, let's jump back into the music a little bit. I want to ask you because really I got to tell you I've always been a huge uh, Santana fan. Um, your early journey was the early the first two albums were very similar. Yeah. 
And I like your style of music, and I was reading somewhere where you made a comment that says, look, man, we get together and we jam. And that's probably the best description of the way you guys worked. I mean, you guys jammed together. It was really cool. So take us a little bit through the process of how you come up with your music. I mean, what influenced you? Because it's a little rock, it's a little jazz, it's bluesy, it's Latin. You know, it's just really cool stuff. Uh, pretty hard to do in a few minutes. Okay. I, it's like, <laughs> it's right. like uh, you know... The whole idea of jamming is not to is to play off of each other uh-huh. and and be respectful once in a while and then forceful in others. You know, no, and take it over and the other guy goes, "Yeah, you got it." It's like you're just passing the ball around. And that's the art of that, and 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 listening to each other. And if it changes, somebody's got a mood, you just go with it, and. That's how a lot of um, music back then was created. I know Santana was the same animal. We we just created things from playing with each other over and over and just, you know, but it was so rhythmically based. And uh, uh, so it was fun to do. I mean, it. there's not many bands that do it anymore. Of course, you know, there's jam bands out there now that created a whole world with that fish, you know, uh, Dave Matthews. I mean, Dave Matthews is a higher caliber of musicianship, but the idea is that it stretches a little bit. It's not based on the same radio formatted stuff, and uh, it's kind of gotten to be a lost art, and yet the Internet has brought it back. So uh, that's how, anyway, that's how that is done. You just... You just play. And it comes up with a somebody comes up with a lick, and somebody else is playing on it. And you know pretty pretty rapidly if it's not a good idea, you just kind of stop and go, "Well, we'll save that for some other time." <laughs> what comes up first sometimes is it the melody that comes up that's in your head, or the lyrics. Um, what do you kind of? I mean, take us through the, the 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 songwriting process a little bit, the composing aspect. For me, it's uh, not lyrics. It's it's music. Music is supposed to create a mood, and and then you write from it. It should tell you what to write. It should should have an idea about it. If it's, um, you know, if it's going to be a love song, a hate song, a you know, pretty or whatever, it, it, the music is it. And and even uh, mumbling. Um, melody across it can create an idea and it, you know it's it's all about the music first for me and and that's how i do it and then i'll write to that and i'll have to come up with something that i want to write about or you know it's not poetry music to me music is not poetry um well, it's a uh, let's say like the song evil ways okay you know if you came up with the lyrics yeah. for that what was that an experience or what uh well I, we didn't write it i mean that okay was, Evil Ways was written by, uh, it was done by Willie Bobo. And uh, Bill, in fact, Evil Ways we did because Bill Graham, he goes, you need songs. He loved the band. And he he gave us that song. He, this, this should be a song you would do. So we did it for Bill Graham. We didn't really particularly want to do it. And we were wrong. And it turned out to be a hit song. And, and, and we, you know, it was easy to do. It was in our ballpark. He was right. But we were looking at soul sacrifice and jingo and things that are tougher and rougher and, you know, heavier. 
and that seemed kind of light and uh and yet it it's being played to this day so we were wrong about that <laughs> well, now, soul sacrifice you guys that was one of the first songs you played at uh at, at uh um at woodstock right woodstock was well wasn't the first song but it was the one that got on on the movie okay and, now, did, and you, uh, is, did you write that one uh, co-wrote that with Carlos uh, Marcus Malone, one of, one of the common players we've had, and uh, David Brown, bass player. I got an email here, and somebody wants to know if you ever worked with or heard of Tuck and Patty. Does that ring a bell? Who? Tuck, T-U-C-K and Patty, does that ring a bell? T-U-C-K, Tuck and Patty? Yeah, does that ring a bell, Tuck and Patty? I don't know if that's no, a joke. No. Okay. Anyway, we get we get emails there and call ins every once in a while during the shows. I mean, we don't take any call ins, but we 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 entertain their um, you know the requests sometimes. Um, yeah. all right, let's say like uh, your signature song really is is would be uh, Black Magic Woman, and that was written what originally by Fleetwood Mac. Uh, yeah, it was Peter Green. Okay, yeah, Peter Green. I was, okay, I was a big Peter Green fan. Still am. I mean, the guy, man, he played some great stuff. The Black Magic Woman, though, Carlos brought it up because it's really Otis Rush. The feel of all of that is old blues, Otis Rush, which uh, Fleetwood Mac early on was was really blues-based stuff. And uh, But I, the first time I heard it, Mike Shreve gave, gave me the album. He goes, you're going to like this because he knew I liked Peter Green from uh, from uh, John Mayles' Hard Road and all that stuff, the, the song Supernatural, which is still brilliant. And and so he, he gave me that, and when that song came on, I, I was like, uh, man, I could do this song great, and I could sing this and all that. And it took me about a year to to talk everybody into doing it, and uh, and then we did, and you know, the rest is history, of course. Uh, the song "Hope You Are Feeling Fine" or "Feeling Better" that was one of yours too, right? Yeah, it was. That's- I wrote that. Yeah. That's a cool song. I like that one. Actually, I like all your songs. Now, let me ask you this. Now, when you when you when you left um, Santana, and then you took a break for a while, and you went back to Seattle, and then you came back, and you get a call to kind of you know work with put together a group, and it became Journey, the original band. Um, did you had Neil was with you, and who else was with you? What in Journey? Yeah, when you originally got back together, then when you started that band in seventy what seventy three seventy four. Neil, myself. Uh, <coughs> Ross Valerie and uh, went through. Ainsley became the drummer. We we searched for a drummer for a while, and uh, and uh, George Tickner on rhythm guitar. And George left after the first album, and so it, it came down to a foursome. And did you use your same, you know, your same logic as far as and your same approach to, you know, coming up with the songs? You know, you jam a little first, and then you come up with something in your head, and that's how you would come up yeah, with the lyrics. We, yeah, pretty much. We wrote songs. We really wrote songs for solos. They were there were songs there, but it was it was really to to jam on on top of it. And uh, not until Perry got in the band did we move into uh, the vocal arena more. I mean, uh, which was fine. I, you know. I learned a lot from doing that, uh, of how to write songs. Writing songs for singers is totally different. And uh, I became more aware of, of some of the nuances that you need to, to do so a singer can emote and and not just 
blow over whatever, you know, okay, you got to sing over this, and, you know, with no sensibility to what, what he might have to do, or she. And um, so I, I, I became more aware of how to, to go about that. When you guys um, traveled and you toured, did you like touring a lot, and, and was it pretty rigorous on you guys? I'll put it this way. Touring's great until you don't want to. So you don't want to, okay. <laughs> and then it, then you, it's like, it's a chore. And and that's pretty much, you know, after building two bands, that was, I'd had it by that time, and that's, that's kind of where that went. I just didn't want to, uh, the travel was, I didn't want to do it anymore. You know, gypsy life is great when you, when you're a gypsy and when you want to do something else it's like anything you're working at anything and it's great fun when it is and all of a sudden it's not then it's not <laughs> it's pretty simple and uh, that's kind of what happened to me i just had had my fill of 14 years of, of living out of a suitcase and two bands and i just i wanted to start a family and so i i got out of it but but it it was great fun when it was uh, you know, and here I am doing it again. I mean, I've been going out with Ringo Starr here for two years, and I'm having a great time doing that. I have my own band. I have a quartet. Um, I am back in the game a bit. Well, I will tell you this. I saw you, and I and I was thankful that I, I, I showed up, and uh, I had the opportunity to meet you, because you guys were here at Blast Friday last month here in downtown Clearwater, and i got to tell right. you, you guys rocked the house out of all the bands, and my son and I, who's my son's 17, he's really into music, probably knows more about you guys than I do, you know, he's really into this yeah. stuff, but at any rate, he says, Daddy, we got to go see this, you know, the Greg Raleigh band, and I said, who's the Greg Raleigh band? I mean, I, I didn't make the association right, he says, Greg Raleigh, you know, Santana, and I go, that Greg Raleigh? And he goes, yeah, and I go, wow. So we went down there, and I got to tell you, I was blown away. And your guitarist, your guitarist was absolutely amazing. What's his name? Is it Haynes or something like Alan, that? It's Alan Haynes. He's a blues guitarist out of Austin. He's the first guy I met here, and uh, first musician I met here, and we just kind of hit it off. And and when I started doing this, it was just a, a duet. He and I, with that same, a lot of that same music, but it was just the two of us. Which nobody would expect. You know, you see a duet, it's like, oh, they're going to sit around the campfire and sing. And Well, not us. And so um, it w- then I wanted to do the quartet. I wanted a, a bass. I want a real band. And it opens me up to play a little more and all that. And so that's what you saw. It, it's, it, it's a stretch from the duet that we did before. And the duet had the same kind of fire because Alan's an incredible player, and he's been he, he's he's known all the blues greats. I mean, he's played with Muddy Waters, he's played with Jimmy Reed, he's played with PB King, he's played with all these guys, all these heavyweights, Al, Albert Collins, Albert King, and uh, and he just lives and breathes it, and that's what he does. So playing with me, I, I'm making him stretch it a bit, but he's still a blues player. And he, he goes, your music is really blues-based. I said, yeah, it always has been. Um, you know, I just take it a little bit over here, <laughs> a little different. Uh, but it's still all blues licks across it. It's not, uh, you know, it's not Mozart. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you guys did an excellent job. Greg, we are just about out of time. Um, I really want to thank you very much for taking a few minutes. Would you be willing to come on again? Because I had a ton, a ton of questions I wanted to ask you and just kind of just do, you know, just a casual back and forth thing. Would you be willing to do that again sometime? Yeah, maybe we can find time to do that. It'd be all right. Okay. Uh, real quick, why don't you plug your website and then the Little Kings Rock charity that you do? I think we got about, about a minute yet, right, Cedric? How much time we got? Two minutes, three minutes, two minutes yet. So you can talk about the Little Kids Rock charity thing that you're involved with and then yeah, plug your website. Well, you know what that is? is like, it was a, uh, a few years back. Um, it was like, uh, it's called Kids at Rock. Okay. And, and it was. Because schools are dropping the arts from schools, thinking that's a great way to save money, what they really ought to do is fire some of the people running the schools and instead to save money and, and keep the arts in, in the school because it means a lot to, to the world. You, know, you can't drop art and performance out of, out of schooling. And, and so this, this was an outside avenue for kids to that want to get into music, they started up a, a basically a school, and uh, and that's what it was about. Mm-hmm. And to back that, and back uh, children getting into music, the arts, period, all of it, any of it, because first of all, music in music, if you have uh, it, playing music is mathematics, it's emotional mathematics, and you have to be able to count it. And it actually has been proven that it helps the analytical side of your brain. And so to, to just think that you got to do numbers and sit behind a desk and put on a name tag is ridiculous. If somebody has talent to go do this, they should be able to go explore it. And it's important to the world. So yeah, I back, I back children of, you know, in schools of that nature anytime. Super. And then your, um, and then your website? The website is Greg Raleigh. Dot com. Okay. Two G's, one L. Okay. And then they can find out all about your schedule and uh, your touring dates yeah, and everything yeah. like that. Yeah. Super. All right, Greg, I want to thank buddy. I want to thank you very much. And in the meanwhile, I want to thank all my guests for tuning in to Nostalgic Rating Cars. Be sure and tell your friends to tune in here every Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports and now music. Okay. Stay safe. Drive carefully. Love your family. And we'll see some of the car shows and maybe some of the music events. Take care, everybody. Chased our pleasures here, dug our treasures there. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his hands. Downtown Day. I'm not here to make a record, you jump cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You jump cracker.